Everyday Strong with Dr. Daniels. This is your host, C.B. Baker. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really have a good, powerful um, podcast show for you today. And this is really um, kind of close to the heart for me with this one is I've been witnessing a lot of things on social media here lately with the attack on the black church and I just felt like there was no real response coming from the church and I didn't know if they maybe felt like it wasn't merited or maybe they're just not seeing or hearing about the negative things that is out there and the um, in the social media world and the attack that's been placed on them and the blame for some of the things that's going on in the black community and and the lack of leadership and things like that, that's been really pointed at the black church. So here today, I wanted to make sure that I that I, I brought Pastor Daniels in on this type of discussion so we can get down to the real nitty gritty and find out, is this legit or is this people just viewing a lens with 2020 vision and 2020 hindsight? Welcome to the show. Dr. Daniels. Thank you, uh, uh, CB. You know, it's always a pleasure to be with you. And uh, I think the topic is something that um, certainly needs to be uh, discussed. Um, I think in, in large part, um, the issue is a, uh, a, a, a viewpoint that is taken that is really of the minority. Oftentimes, I know people say, well, um, there is this great attack on churches or religion in general. But I think overall, I don't think it's a great attack. I think it's the minority view. And I think those in the minority just happen to have a, a large vocal you know, voice. And so uh, those who, who want to attack tend to use social media to make it seem as if there is a greater spread of discontent than what there really is. Yes. Yeah, so I'd like to um, mention the first question I got last night is, is there a guideline for how the tithes are distributed for the operation cost of the church? I've always wondered this because some of the churches have paid staff while others do not. And just curious to whether or not there's a minimum amount of salaries or is it just left to the discretion of the pastor slash board? Some pastors are making a very nice salary. Well, you know, the, the, the salary base of any organization, uh, whether it be a church or any organization, is based on the organization itself. And so that would be kind of like asking me the question of why is it that the CEO of American Express makes more money than the um, manager at McDonald's? Uh, that's because each one of them operates based on the guidelines of their particular organization. So when people say, you know, why does the church, they are assuming that the church is monolithic and it operates based on one set of rules for all the various denominations that we have and all the various churches that we have and and for even the non-denominational churches that we have. And, and so it's not like there is one set of guidelines that covers that, you know, that mammoth of uh, uh, individuality that's out there in the Christian or even in the religious community, let me say. And so again, again, that's why I say I I think that one of the problems is is that people are assuming that uh, denominations don't have differences and that they're not operated differently. You know, for example, if you are Catholic, then you are governed by the Pope. And that means the Pope sets up the guidelines, uh, or at least the papacy, I should say, sets up the guidelines for how the priests are paid, you know, what their salary will be, even what church they will serve at. 
And so all that's determined. And let's say if you are African, uh, if you're AME, African Methodist Episcopal, it's, it's, they similarly, they have a, a board, a uh, group of individuals, a hierarchy, I should say, that establishes for each church under that jurisdiction, you know, what the salaries will be for the size of the church. And that will dictate how many paid people there are on the staff and that kind of thing. And so that particular denomination will decide that. And that's how it is with many denominations, is that that particular denomination, if they're under the guidance of a bishop, that person kind of sets the standard. If you have a local independent body, then that's, that uh, structure is governed by jointly, usually by the deacon board and the trustee board. And so then they're the one that established the guidelines for how much they're going to pay. Uh, the bylaws will determine how pastors are elected and how their salaries are established and all those kinds of things. And if you look at, well, uh, why does one make more and one make less? Um, well, a lot of it has to do, again, with the structure of the church with um, the, 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 the requirements of that pastor and uh, the size of the uh, operation at that particular church. So it's not an easy answer because uh, to answer it with one answer would assume that all churches are run by one individual, and that's not the case. Plus, I think you would have to, you know, me being the, the business side of things, if a church had 3,000 members, of course, the pastor is in and staff is going to need to be, you got to have paid staff and you're bringing in more money through tides. So, and it's a nonprofit organization. The money's got to go somewhere. Well, not just the money has to go somewhere, but they also there's the issue that people don't quite understand. Let's say you have a congregation of 100. Okay, then here's what the pastor function is. He certainly has to prepare for his sermons. He has to deal with teaching. He has to deal with hospital visits. He has to deal with, you know, things like weddings and funerals and 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 homes, you know, all the counseling, all those kind of things. So if you have 100 members, it, it is possible for that pastor, let's say, to do all that. But then who's going to receive the money? Who's going to count the money? Who's going to take the money to the bank? Who's going to prepare the documents required by the Internal Revenue Service because we are an independent entity that's nonprofit? Somebody has to do that. So maybe you say, well, okay, we have a pastor, but now we're going to hire someone part-time to do that work. Then let's say you grow to 500 people. The question is, can one person actually service 500 people effectively? Let's consider this, if you will. Let's say if you consider you're going to counsel one person and it's taking you 30 minutes. So every 30 minutes you're going to counsel somebody. You have to take breaks, you know, during the course of the day. Right. Well, on a normal eight-hour day, you could, that means you could counsel 16 people. And let's multiply 16 by five. That's how many folks you can counsel in a week's time. That assumes you take no telephone calls, no bathroom breaks, no anything else, no visit nobody <laughs> right. in the hospital, none of the other kind of stuff stuff, but you got 500 members. So obviously if you just do the math, one person can't do all that and take care of the business side of it. So I need to hire somebody else to do that kind of stuff. So somebody has to manage the money. Someone has to do the report. Someone has to prepare financial statements. Someone has to prepare the quarterly tax statements, you know, so on and so on and so on. Someone has to help with the counseling because now I can't do it by myself. I can't do all the visitations. So I need to hire someone else. So the size of the church will determine how many people you have under your, you know, how many people you employ. 
way. And, 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 and it's just like, it's really just like any other business. You know, people often assume that a church is not operated as a business. It is. It's just called a nonprofit business. And that's not something that the church necessarily has set up. That's what the federal government has set up. The federal government requires the churches operate under the 501 uh, uh, C3 guidelines, which is not just for churches, but for all nonprofit organizations. So just like, um, let's say, the Red Cross has to do certain things, the church has to do the same things from a fiduciary manner as Red Cross has to do. But people don't question the Red Cross when they, you know, have to prepare financial statements or have to have a receptionist and, you know, all these kind of things. But the church is under the same guidelines. It's, it really is a small business. It's just a nonprofit business that's doing God's work. And again, the, the dic, the, the dic, what dictates how we operate are federal laws. Mm. Now, the... Question I have is the, the next question comes from another person on the um, um, social media question is the black church collects money every week. That's the, that is deposited mostly into nine black institutions. How is that building the community? Uh, it's simple because the, the person that asked the question apparently assumed that the only way to build a community is to deposit money in a bank. <laughs> Uh, but that's not the case. Uh, if you were to ask the average hom- homeless person, what do they prefer, me putting money in a bank or me feeding them, I would be willing to bet you they would say, I prefer you feed me than put money in the bank. See, putting money in the bank doesn't feed the homeless. Putting money in the bank doesn't give the homeless a place to stay at night. Putting money in the bank does not put clothes on the homeless back. So the question is really kind of short-sighted because really what they're asking me is not how I build the community, but how I build the banker. Because putting money in a black-owned bank helps the black black board that owns the bank. So I may help five people get richer, but I don't help the community get richer. Because the question really ought to be, why, why isn't the black-owned bank doing as much to help the community that it says it serves? Why doesn't the black-owned bank give better interest rates to the community? Why doesn't the black-owned bank give better loans to the community? Why doesn't the black-owned bank finance more houses for the community? Why doesn't the black-owned bank do more to help the community? Uh, so to put it all in the church is really, I could say, kind of short-sighted. Uh, the other thing I would say is this, is that uh, the person is missing a great opportunity when they ask that question. The church is a group of individuals. So for the average church, let's say if you have 100 members, and if those 100 men- members are giving, the question is not, if they're giving, they're giving at maximum about 5%. And I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say on average they give 5%. But what happens to the other 95% of their income? The issue is not whether whether or not the bank is, the church, excuse me, is putting their 5% in the black bank. The issue is why don't all the members put their 95% into a black bank? So the, 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 um, the, the emphasis shouldn't be placed just on the church, but on the black community at large. Why aren't those black residents putting their money in the black bank? Why aren't those black residents trying to get car loans from the black bank? Why aren't the residents doing anything with the black bank? If 
we are to improve the structure of our, our, our world, then we have to think differently. It's kind of like a wise man once said, if you think pennies, you get pennies. If you think dollars, you get dollars. If all you do is concentrate on the, on the church, which gets a small, a very small percentage of the dollars that's funneled through the black community, you miss the boat. I would, be, I would tell you right now that uh, Michael Jordan, for example, makes more money in one year than the church that I pastor will make in 30 years. So why didn't Michael Jordan take all of his money and put it in a black bank? Why don't all the black athletes take their money <laughs> right. and put it in black banks? Why don't all the rappers take their money and put it in black banks? Why didn't Oprah put her money in a black bank? Why don't all the black entertainers put their money in black banks? If all of them were to do that, then all black banks would be prosperous. So I think that, again, the focus is on the wrong place. They're focusing on the churches as if the churches have a large, you know, billions of dollars setting aside somewhere. That's not true. Most churches are struggling to survive. But unfortunately, people look at one or two churches that they see on TV and they assume that that's the church. That's what everybody operates on. Oh, no. By and large, the average church is barely making it. In fact, in most cities, you may have maybe 10 churches that are really big churches. Most of the churches are operating out of corner stores. They're operating out of somebody's garage. They're operating out of old buildings uh, that were constructed back in 1950, 1960. And they don't really have the money that people presume that they have. Right. Now, playing devil's advocate here, um, but but one thing about the church, though, that you— you, I can't see you denying that the church does have influence. They may not have the the money, <laughs> but they do have influence. And you know, you know, Pastor, you sit on the at, at the pulpit. You have right. that ability to sway people or to persuade people to maybe put their money in the black bank. Well, let's, let, me, let me let me let me just help you out a little bit. <laughs> All right, um, I can't even persuade people to put their money in the church that they belong to. <laughs> <laughs> How can I persuade them to put their money in a black bank? Let's be real. I can't get them to stop fornicating. I can't get them to stop lying. I can't get them to stop cheating. In fact, the fear of going to hell does not stop them from doing what they do. So, oh, no, I I, I get it. I I get people think that pastors have all this great influence. Let me tell you, if pastors had the influence people thought they had, they thought they had, it'd be a totally different ball game. Let me give you a a classic example. Jesse Jackson was a black preacher, still is a black preacher. Jesse Jackson ran for president. He didn't come close to getting elected. Every black pastor I know told his members, vote for Jesse Jackson. Right. Yeah, and I do remember that back in the 80s. Um, Next question, um, this is on the lines of uh, the mega churches, and I know of uh, of some people that go to a prominent mega church in the area. And one thing they did say to me, Pastor, was they are disliking it because it seems like they're being marketed to. 
And then this person uh, that wrote this question, it's kind of along those same lines. And the question or statement is, Omega churches are what concern me. Admittedly, I have not been to church over three years. But one thing I do know is that I could have a personal relationship with my pastor. Mega churches seem to be in the direct opposite of that. Combined with with this, the, the pastors make these ridiculous personal wealth and you have a recipe for uh, for doubt as a true role of the church in today's black community. Now, Pastor, this is really not necessarily a question, but a comment that I want you to kind of help us out here is did the. As church as churches grow from a small church to a mega church, is there a loss of connection with the community as the church gets bigger? No, there's not a loss of connection with the community, but I can understand the person's concern that there may, may be a loss of connection with their pastor. I, I completely agree. But that's why most mega churches hire a lot of assistants. That's why, um, for example, and I don't know this personally because I, I, you know, I've never been to the Potter's house. So this is a presumption on my part. But I doubt very seriously if T.D. Jakes um, sees members individually, it will be impossible. You know, he doesn't have that time to do right. that. Uh, so what he does is he hires pastors under him or ministers under him, and he assigns them to groups of members to deal with on that personal basis. And so the issue becomes is, am I coming to church because I want a personal relationship with that particular pastor? Or am I coming to church because of the teaching I'm getting from that pastor? And so a lot of people go to mega churches, not because they're looking for a personal relationship with the pastor, but for a personal relationship with Christ. And, and that teaching from that pastor pastor gives them what they want or what they need. Right. And, and so, again, it just depends on what you're looking for. You know, I mean, me personally, um, I, you know, I am a pastor and I probably would not be a member of a personal church if I were not already a pastor. Begin because if you have if you can, if you are an infant in your in your Christian growth, you probably need that personal touch. But if you are seasoned in your Christian development, then a a, a mega church might suit your needs. Um, so I don't think this, the mega church is bad, and certainly I would not confine to the black community because uh, the majority uh, the white community had mega churches long before black churches ever became mega churches. You, you, you know, uh, so you know Oral Roberts, you know, was a mega church long before T.D. Jakes, you know, it was a mega church. So I'm just saying that. So and and the salary again, the 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 salary of that pastor is based on what those members decide they want to pay him. You know, I, I, I you know, I don't necessarily have a problem with if someone wants to pay somebody a lot of money. That's what they have decided. You know, so if if if, if you have three thousand members, let's say you have three thousand members on average, and those members decide, you know what, for the pastor's anniversary, we each want to give him ten dollars a piece. For his anniversary. Well, you know, $10 individually is not a lot of money. And so if you had 100 members and each gave you $10 and you got $100, nobody would complain. They wouldn't say, well, I can't believe they had the nerve to give the pastor $10 a piece if it was 10 members. If you have 3,000 members and they give you $10 a piece, now they complain. (laughs) Uh, But per person, it's no difference. So, you know, so um, again, you know, do some of them make more money than they need? Yes. But that's what the members have decided they wanted to do. 
So I'm going to ask you to play devil's advocate again to answer some of these people's questions. So there's no moment when a pastor walks in the room and says, I'm not making enough or I want the Rolls Royce. Yes, there are moments that that happens. I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't stand, sit here and, and act like that everyone who is a pastor does not have money influences decision making. Right. Obviously, that's not the case. But I'm just saying that's not all pastors. Right. And just because a pastor is making a lot of money doesn't mean he's greedy. It may mean his members just want to pay him a lot of money, but there are also pastors, and that, that's not that's not just not mega churches. Let's be honest, there are pastors that will walk into a church that has four hundred members and demand more money than what that church is able to pay them, and so they will quit and go to a, a larger church. There are pastors that think that they should make a hundred thousand dollars coming out the gate, right. you know, just because of what they see other people make. But the, the, the thing is, and, 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 and again, I don't, I'm not talking negative about any pastor because, Hey, that's between them, their congregation and the God that they serve. But one of the things that you look at is this in today's climate, the average church wants a seminary trained pastor. So they want someone that has a doctor's degree. Not a degree you bought on on, on the internet, but a real <laughs> doctoral right. degree. So that means that person has spent a minimum, let's say, of six to eight years in college, usually about eight years to get your doctor's degree, okay? Now, in most professions with a doctor's degree, what kind of salary do you want? Do you want to come in making minimum wage? No, no. I, I know. It's going to be north of 60. Right. But see, if you're a pastor, the assumption is, you know, to the people who don't, appreciate the concept of education. They're thinking is if you are a pastor and you got a doctor's degree, you should be willing to come in making 25, 30,000 a year. Well, but if you got a doctor's degree and you go work for the work for the school system as a principal, you don't make $35,000 a year. If you got a doctor's degree in engineering, you don't make 35,000, you're going to make north of 90,000. Right. If you have a PhD in, you know, in any of those kind of disciplines, you don't expect your medical doctor to make thirty five or forty thousand a year, I tell you what, if if I went to my doctor, and that's all he made. I'm going to another right, doctor. Right, you, you don't know? want to deal with him. Right, you right. expect that doctor to charge a rate minimum of sixty dollars an hour minimum, and that's a long time ago. Probably more than that now. I don't, you know, I got HMO, so I don't know what the charges <laughs> are. But I mean, you know, you 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 expect your medical doctor to make north of one fifty a year. That's what you expect, and he has a master's degree. An MD is not a PhD. Medical doctor is not a PhD. Now, you can't get a PhD as a medical doctor, but the average medical doctor just has his MD, okay? But yet you expect him to make $150,000. But a pastor who has that kind of education, well, he's not worth that much. Well, I would suggest to anybody that why not? I mean, you know, again, what you pay the person is based on what the congregation agrees to. But again, I would think that with that degree level, he is worth that much. His wife wants new clothes. His children want the best as well. We assume that the pastor's kids want to, want to not wear uh, Jordans, that they don't want to dress in, in good, you know, right. they, they want the same things everybody else want. It's the pastor that, you know, has just um, decided he wants to serve God. But that doesn't mean he wants to be poor because he's serving God. Now, switching gears here a little bit off the the financial aspect of it to another one, which is with everybody um, being real pro-black and and getting into knowing 
um, blackness, so to speak. One of the things that keeps come up, coming up is why is the image of Jesus white when it clearly doesn't match the biblical description? Um, again, uh, and I hate to say this uh, in a public forum, but I will say it. People who ask that question really are a little ignorant about their history and our history. <laughs> so let me help educate some folk right quick. Most black churches of in, where you have seminary trained preachers, the image of Christ is not white. Number one, for example, the church I pastor, the image of Christ is not white. If you walk in my study, you look at the image of Christ, you'll see he's bronze in color uh, because uh, he was a Hasidic Jew. Now, he was not African. He was not, you know, the typical African. He was a Jew. He was a Hebrew. So as a Hebrew, what color will his skin have been? Well, it would have been caramelized because it was outside in the sun a lot. And so that's how the Bible describes him. Okay. Uh, it does also, most Hasidic Jews, their hair was not that straight stringy hair, but it also wasn't the same grade of hair that the average African-American has either. Uh, and so it was, it's somewhere in between, you know, it probably was curly locks as the Bible describes more like lamb's wool, that, that curly kind of hair. And, and so most people who are trained understand that that's what it is. So then the question becomes, people say, well, well, why is it a white Jesus? Because of Leonardo da Vinci. And again, see, that's people being ignorant about history and about art and those kind of things. Well, because Leonardo da Vinci painted a painting that we call The Last Supper. And Leonardo da Vinci was white. And so since he was white, guess what he painted Jesus as? White. White, because he was white. Uh, and, and he probably hadn't read the Bible too much either. In fact, if you look at the painting, it's obvious that the painting is not an actual representation because no one sits at a table where everybody is facing forward. But in the painting, everybody is facing forward, not sitting around the table looking at one another. And so obviously it's just Leonardo da Vinci's representation just so, you know, he could put it out there. And so that's the picture that kind of symbolized, you know, what Jesus looked like. Also, you have you know, like Michelangelo, people of that nature. You know, Michelangelo painted the 16th Chapel. Right. But Michelangelo is what? Italian. So he's white. And so. What does he view him as? He's to him, his God is white. And so that's the picture he painted of God on the ceiling. And and, and so um, we tend to always look at other folk and say, well, why isn't why do we project him as 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 white? No, the real question is this. Why don't those folk that ask the question, why don't they just project him as black? Why don't they do it more? Why don't they ensure that people are educated to understand where the image came from? So then we won't have this issue of people thinking, well, why isn't the black church doing it? The black church didn't paint uh, the Last Supper. The black church (laughs) didn't paint the Sixteenth Chapel. The black church isn't the one that did that. Right. You know, it's, it's just really that straightforward. In fact, the Bible says don't make an image of God. But Michelangelo did. Okay, so if you really put it in that context, it's simple. And that is most black preachers I know recognize what the Bible says about where Jesus was from and what his background was. Now, he certainly didn't look like me. 
you know, because I am more Afrocentric in my features. Uh, so, you know, but he probably didn't, uh, you know, he didn't look like, you know, uh, Anglo-Saxon white male either. Right. He, he was in a, he was a Jew. He was a Hebrew and he was from a, 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 a nation where their skin color um, uh, was probably, you know, and he was probably tan, obviously, because he spent a lot of time in the sun, but it certainly was not as dark as my, my complexion. And I'm a, I'm a fairly dark individual, uh, but he certainly wasn't lily white either. So, you know. So mm-hmm. for the, 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 the folks that are woke that always ask the question, okay, they say, well, the religion of Christianity was given us given to us on the slave boat coming from over from Africa. So therefore we should not um, believe or, or listen to Christianity or follow Christianity because that is not our true religion. Um, and I've also heard some other, some other Muslims from nation Islam say the same thing. What is their true religion? No, I just can't answer that question. I know because they can't either. That's my point to you. See, here's a, here's a real deal. Um, the Africans that came over on this boat were not Muslims. I don't know why we act like they were. They were not. They looked at things in nature. You know, uh, as a matter of fact, most of the folk that say all the things that it's not our true religion have never been to Africa. Well, I have been to Africa and I have talked to people in Africa. And here's what um, uh, when you when you really research your history, here's what you find is that they believed in uh, some idol worship, which were gods they made themselves. Some believe in uh, things like the alligators were, you know, uh, a form of, you know, gods because of their prowess and those kind of things and, and so forth and so on. Some believed in reincarnation. It was a variety of beliefs based on what tribes you came from, so forth and, and this kind of thing. If you look at the where religion really had, a, 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 I guess, a foothold, it was in the northeastern part of Africa you know, and, and what we call Asia Minor in those areas. Well, in those areas, that's where the, the true you know, nation of Islam and Christianity rose from. And, and both Christianity and Islam really comes from Judaism. Okay, that's the history of it, is that the, the, what they call the Prophet Muhammad, he, he lived along a trade route. And along that trade route, um, the Hebrews would travel, and they traveled that trade route. And so in their traveling that trade route, you know, information was exchanged. And so um, Prophet Muhammad, a lot of his information came from them. Now, according to Islam, of course, he received the revelation, he, you know, uh, from God and so forth and so on. But that's why when you look at the uh, Quran and you compare it to uh, what we call the Old Testament, um, which is similar to, you know, the Hebrew Bible, they mirror uh, all of them, they, this Abraham is their father, the same thing, because they came from the same, the Genesis is, is, is the same. And so when, 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 a, when a person says to me, well, uh, our religion was Islam, I say to them, you don't even know where Islam originated from, if you say that. Right. Because if Abraham is the father of Islam, and if Abraham is the father of the Hebrews, then that means they both have the same God. <laughs> right. And so if they both have the same God, then that means, why, why are you debating it? They right. both have the same God, which means uh, there's not a different religion. It's the same religion. You just are acting upon it differently out of 
a lack of knowledge, you know. And so, again, what I suggest people do is before they, you know, um, throw stones at any religion or at any person and how they operate, make sure you get all the facts for yourself. Don't listen to other folk who are unlearned and then they tell you some things. Do your research. Find people who know history, people that understand history and, and go for, get go at it from that angle so you can get the truth about it. And I'm, I'm a show me kind of person. I'm not a Christian because my mother told me to be a Christian. I'm not. A, no, no, I'm a Christian because I did. I do my research. I didn't go to school thinking that one way was right or another way was right. I studied so I could see what the true beginning is. And I'm going to say this right quick. And I know because our time is limited. If you if you look at all this stuff. Right. And you go back uh, and, 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 and both Islam and, and, and Hebrew uh, history say the same thing. Um, if you go back there, there, there are two, two sons, right? Abraham has two sons. Okay. Uh, one, uh, Ishmael and one, uh, um, Isaac. Now, um, uh, one is born of a woman who was a slave. Right. Uh, she was from Egypt as Ishmael. And one was born uh, from his wife, Sarah. Now, um, according to the, 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 the text, um, Ishmael, he, he goes one way. He becomes the father of what we call Islam because the, his people, that, those, that group of people are those, you know, nomadic folk, Arabs, this kind of thing. Then Isaac, that's where the Hebrew lineage comes from. Well, that's why both of them say our, our, our father is Abraham. Well, Abraham worshiped the God that both of them worship. So again, I'm saying they are all worshiping the same God by a different name. So if you're Islam, you call him Allah. What does Allah mean? Allah simply means the one true God, right? Well, I worship the one true God too. So what, we just don't, when we call him God, God is not a name. People act like it's a name. It is not, it's a title, what does the title mean? It means the one who created all things. So one says it's the one true God. One says it's the one who created all things. We're both saying the same thing. And we act like we, we aren't. We act as if that means something different. And again, a good example is this. You know, I don't call you father. I call you CB. But your children call you father. That don't mean we're talking about different people. <laughs> we're right. talking about the same person. Right. Your wife calls you honey. It's the same person. So just because we use a different term to identify him don't mean we aren't talking to the same or talking about the same God. So, again, uh, no, um, to, to all those folk that think that, well, our religion is religion the white folk gave us. Um, well, even if, if even if we didn't get it from white folk, even if we adopt Islam, it wasn't what our true ancestors were because our ancestors did not worship Allah either. We came from uh, the Horn of Africa, and and so we weren't Islamic in in nature. Right. Well, that's a lot of good information, and thank you, Pastor, for clearing up a lot of different things for us. There was a couple of questions we didn't get to, but you know, in the sake of time for the podcast, I'm gonna have to just end it there. But we covered a lot of things. So, in in wrap up, Pastor, is there anything you would like to give, or anything you'd like to say, encouraging? for the black church in the community? I, I, I would just say this. For, for people who um, like to label the black church as if the, we are monolithic, I just want to say that's, that's the biggest error you, you, you can ever do. Uh, all pastors aren't good, but all pastors aren't bad. All churches 
uh, or don't operate the same way. So, you know, just because you have one bad experience, don't try to put that on everybody else. You know, you just had one bad experience. Uh, But look around till you find a church that really fits your personality and one that you recognize is doing good in the community and, 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 and go there because certainly there are many churches that do well. And also, let me just say this, that, you know, when people talk about pastors make too much money, listen, the average pastor, I shouldn't say average because it's over average. 90% of pastors are bivocational. Most pastors work a full-time job doing something else as well as pastoring their church. It's less than 1%, and I really less than 1% of pastors pastor mega churches. They are very few. Right. It's just that they're the ones that have the money to go on TV and, and be on the TV shows. But understand this, that's entertainment, that people are trying to entertain you to keep ratings up. Correct. That's not the true lifestyle of the average pastor. Thank you so very much. <laughs> All right. Thank you, uh, Pastor Daniels, and thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode of Everyday Strong with Dr. Michael G. Daniels. Till next time.